Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Three guys, three decades, three perspectives. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Morgan Coffee Co. is a small batch coffee company out of Point Pleasant, New Jersey. They feature unique blends inspired by the Jersey Shore, and every month they feature a new single-origin coffee from around the world and their new Flavor of the Month club. Bean Mug and Coffee Co. is giving our listeners 10% off all coffee and their recently released K-Cups. Visit Bean Mug and Coffee Co. and enter Cousins10 at checkout. Bean Mug and Coffee Co., the roast from the coast. Welcome to Season 3 of the Me and My Cousins Podcast. I am Angelo Gingerelli. Unfortunately, my cousins Mike and Kenny are not with us on this episode. They will be back with us very soon in Season 3. But I have some interviews. I just got to get out there. I can't hold them back anymore. The world needs to hear them. And this first episode of Season 3 will not disappoint. Uh, This gentleman has been a podcaster. He's been an author. He's now a book author. It's really impressive. Um, I became aware of this person through his great legitimate top five all-time podcast, The Cypher, where he interviewed everybody from up-and-coming rappers to underground rappers to very successful mainstream rappers, 250-plus episodes still out there if you want to check them out. Uh, From there, he was a writer for Complex. I enjoyed his writing. And then in the beginning of 2020, part of his job at Complex was to make this podcast about Takashi 69. And he was really one of the first journalists to take his story seriously because you know Takashi has been such a punchline and and for so many reasons a real quote unquote real hip hop fans haven't taken him seriously. Well this this guy took him seriously and really did a deep dive into his upbringing, his adulthood, his career, and eventually his legal cases uh, that didn't end well for too many people. We'll hear about that when we talk to Sean. Uh, But that podcast turned into a book that is coming out in October of 2021 called Dummy Boy, Takashi 6ix9ine and the Nine Trade Gangster Bloods. And I just got done with it. It took me a minute to get to it because I had some other project I had to take care of before I got to read that. And it's it's really great. It's It's about a 250, 300-page book, and it will tell you everything you need to know about that legal situation and the rise and fall of Takashi 69, which in my opinion is a very, even if you don't like his music, it's an incredibly interesting story that could only happen in the 2010s, right? It's this weird mix of hip-hop, the music industry, gang culture, and the internet uh, that was, it would be impossible for this to happen to a young man pretty much any other time before this. So I think it's an interesting story. It's a cautionary tale if you're an aspiring artist of any kind. Uh, and it's super interesting if you're just interested in the way those, those factors and variables interact with each other in today's hip-hop world. So that's going to kick off Season 3 of Me and My Cousins. Without further ado, check out my interview with Sean Sotero. Stand up and laugh. Build a comedy scene, produce your own shows, and create community by Angelo Gingerelli is available now on microcosmpublishing.com. If you're trying to make your way in a world of stand-up comedy, you can build your career while enlivening your local comedy community and mutually supporting your fellow humorists, and you can even have fun while doing it. Angelo Gingerelli shares his hard-won advice for anyone who wants to create a comedy scene from scratch in a smaller community, carve out their unique niche in a larger city full of professional funny people, or anywhere in between. Lots of good tips here for anyone organizing community events from how to book venues, get publicity, and avoid drama. Also includes great arguments for starting or joining a comedy scene rather than thinking of yourself as a lone wolf and solid wisdom for being an asset to an existing stand-up community. Stand Up and Laugh by Angelo Gingerelli is available now on microcosmpublishing.com.
And we're back for another very special interview segment on the Me and My Cousins podcast. This is Angelo coming at you right now. I'm taking this interview by myself without Mike and Kenny because we have a very special guest that wrote a book that I've been a fan of for a very long time in the podcast world, on the Instagram, Twitter, blog world, a writer for Complex, a writer of a new book about Takashi 69, uh, the host of not one, but two of my favorite podcasts of all time, where you can talk about both of those and, of course, talk about his new book. But for right now, I want to, me and my cousins listeners to welcome Sean Sotero. Sean, what's going on, man? Hey, Angelo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. This is the the first interview about the book. So uh, this is some history being made right here. I, I didn't know that, man. That makes me even more excited because I saw you post about this. I probably one of the first people to like the statics that follow everything that you do. And uh, it's a very unique book you have coming out. So I think that the best way to get into that is kind of get into your history. Um, people might know you from the music world. They might know the cypher. They might know your work with Complex. And they might know you from the book. What Give us like the brief history of Sean Sotero goes from, let's say, high school senior to the Sean Sotero of today. Wow. Well, uh, I'll be as brief as I can. Basically, I was a musician for many, many years. Uh, I actually went to Berklee College of Music you know, played guitar and bass, uh, played in, you know, rock bands, all kinds of groups for years and years, and uh, always listened extensively to rap through that whole period and, and you know, became obsessed with it. Uh, and at a certain point around, uh, gosh, I guess, you know, around 2009, I think it was, I discovered a website that was then called Rap Exegesis that, you know, changed its name to Rap Genius and then to Genius because no one knew what an exegesis was, understandably oh, enough. And I was basically the first person, you know, outside of the founder's immediate circle of friends to get involved. It was like someone had taken my brain and put it on the internet, you know, how I thought about rap lyrics in terms of, you know, a reference almost like hyperlinking to something else um, so I, you know, I did that for a long time that turned from a passion project that I spent every spare second, you know, working on the site and answering emails about it to ultimately a full-time job. Uh, and when I left that in 2014, you know, I started writing for a bunch of different places, most prominently did, uh, you know, was a contributor at Forbes for a while. Uh, where I wrote kind of about the intersection of music and business, which was its own phenomenal education. And then uh, got into Complex and kind of worked up the ranks there. Uh, and, you know, while I was at Genius, I started a podcast originally called Outside the Lines with Rap Genius, which was a reference to a long forgotten Rap Genius video property that I think lasted all of like two episodes. So the name quickly didn't make any sense. Uh -huh. um, and when I left Genius, uh, I kept the podcast going, renamed it The Cypher uh, due to my long running obsession with all things Nation of Gods and Earths. And, you know, kept that going and, you know, stopped that a couple of years ago at around uh, 250 episodes. And, you know, at Complex did a whole bunch of things, news writer, staff writer, whatever, most recently have been full-time in podcasting, now making narrative podcasts, which means, you know, multi six, eight episode series about a particular topic. So that's, you know, kind of that's brings, where we're at. Yeah, that kind of brings it up full circle. 
Uh, that I just want to talk about the cipher for one second and tell you how I came to the show, which I think is interesting. One of my favorite rappers is Merce. And in, I'm going to say May or early June of 2015, you had him on the talk about the Have a Nice Life album that came out on Strange Music, right? So mm -hmm. he tweeted about the podcast. I went and listened to that episode because I was a fan of Merz, and then I became a fan of you and Josh Cross, your producer, and the whole idea. And it, what struck me was like, Merz is a great rapper, but not a lot of people know a lot about him, right? But if you were just a new fan, you would walk away from that hour, hour, 15 minutes being a, a fan. Like you knew his better albums, you knew his big collaborations, you knew enough about him where you could go down that deep dive of the internet and become a fan of this person. And then a couple of weeks later, my daughter was born. And just by nature of being in the house and, you know, having headphones on a lock, was trying to put her to bed. I went down that deep dive of 200 plus episodes and listened to so many great episodes. So I got on the show a little bit late, but then I caught up uh, pretty quick because where, where my life was at the point. And then it became, I, I never missed an episode. Now, to me, the early 2010, say 2011 to like 2015, like the heyday for hip hop podcasting to me, because I think Combat Jack, rest in peace, did a great job of the old school rappers that he had a busy relationship with. And like you knew Big Daddy Kane's music, but because of the world in the 80s, you knew very little about Big Daddy Kane or LL Cool J. But I thought the cypher was great with those artists like the Strange Music roster or your Vinnie Pazes or your Merce, where like you might know a little about them, but you just gave everybody all the info in a very enjoyable, very short kind of cliff note on a person's career. And you just walked out of there feeling like you knew the person and knew you better after every episode, man. So super props on the cypher. I really love that show. And I remember when you guys said you were stopping it, I, I put on your Facebook or Instagram, you know, top five dead or alive podcast easy. And I still believe that now probably more than ever. Um, but I'm going to let you talk in a second. I feel like doing an a podcast where it's episodic and you're talking through the, the, the creme de la creme of what hip hop purists like, like you did on the cypher, right? Going to a multi-part podcast about six nine is about as big of a one eighty as you can <laughs> it's, possibly. It's unexpected, yeah. Yeah, C catches and, catches everyone by surprise, and, you know. And, and I'll be honest, yeah. when I saw the announcement about the infamous coming out in early twenty twenty, my first response is, I don't need six hours of information about Takashi six nine. But then I then Sean was involved, Angie Martinez was narrating, Complex was involved. There was enough cool players on, like, they're going to do this right. And then you absolutely did do an insane story, complete justice. So how do you go, how does the, the infamous podcast come about? Sure. Well, so the origin story of that is uh, you can find it in the pre, in the, uh, you know, introduction to the book, of course, which is called uh, Dummy Boy Takashi 69 and the Nine Tray Gangster Bloods, uh, out October 12th. Had to get the plug in there early. Um, available, you know, make sure to pre-order it. But basically the story goes, you know, around the middle of 2018, there was this whole SoundCloud rap thing happening, right? And I'm a staff writer at Complex. And a lot of these guys are young. They are not reliant on traditional press or radio or whatever in the way that, you know, artists of a previous generation were. A lot of them have, you know, disturbing things in their personal lives. And, you know, that's notable. The fans' reaction or lack thereof to those things is notable. So we were constantly trying to figure out how to cover this wave, you know, uh, Takashi, XXX, Tentacion, et cetera. And it was actually a uh, someone at Complex 
uh, you know, one of my coworkers said, okay, well, we know Takashi exists, but, you know, what about this Treyway guy who's always with him? Who's that? Meaning, you know, Shadi, uh, his sort of manager, father figure, you know, guy. Um, and I was like, that, yeah, that, that's interesting. Who is that Treyway guy? And that was, I think, the middle of 2018. And I went down this rabbit hole trying to find everything I could about him and who he was and who the people were around him and who was he linked to and who he mentioned once on Instagram and, you know, go, went deep, deep down. And he was maybe going to be for a story. His lawyer, you know, got back to me once with a very noncommittal email about maybe we could do something. I, maybe we could do an interview. I don't know, but it didn't, you know, I didn't have a plan yet. Right. It was just looking into it when I wasn't doing other stuff. And in late 2018, November 2018, that Treyway guy and Takashi and a bunch of other people get arrested in a racketeering case. And uh, so because I'd already been doing this, I just started going to court. And, you know, I just kept going to the court hearings and reporting on them. And, you know, there were not many, there were great people, there were great court reporters covering the big strokes, right? The first hearing, you know, the, the big stuff along the way, there wasn't really much or maybe even any other media going day in and day out to the boring hearings to see, you know, how stuff was going bit by bit or looking at the court documents every day to see what was happening. So that kind of became my niche. And, you know, my uh, partner in Infamous, uh, a complex coworker, uh, Shiva, you know, we wanted to do a narrative podcast about something, you know, it was, it was a kind of project I had never done before. I was super excited and nervous about it. Uh, she wanted to do it to kind of make her stamp in complex, you know, podcasting because that was what she was brought on to like really get going. And Takashi was one of the main choices that ended up being the one that was chosen. And so it all kind of dovetailed. I was already covering the court hearings I knew a bunch of people, I had all this research, and then we just started interviewing. And that was like probably early 2019 when the show, when we really began like interviewing for the show. Yeah, what I thought was interesting about it from the very first episode, and then it, it continues through the series, is that you guys took a basically a, a man that's a punchline in most circles and took this incredibly seriously, right? And I think that was really interesting because it wasn't just like old hip hop heads like me and you making fun of because you had face tats and crazy hair and, you know, questionable lyrics. And it wasn't just young kids being sycophantic about how great he was. It was kind of like, here's a guy in an incredible legal mess, if you will. And we're going to unpack all of these, this intersection of the music business, gang culture, the internet, social media. Um, it was really an amazing place America was in early 2020 when that came out. And then a month or two later, the world shut down, for lack of a better term. Um, it was really, it was, the, the timing was really strange on that. But how did, I guess, the, the, the most notable factor person involved in my world was Angie Martinez, right? Famous New York City uh, radio personality. How does she jump on the project? Because I think that's a bit, even I think she brings a level of legitimacy, even if you don't know the complex behind scene players like you. If you're just a regular hip hop head, you know Angie Martinez. How do you get her involved? Sure. I mean, well, to be, to, you know, to be perfectly, you know, upfront, I didn't think that anyone would know 
that I was involved or care that I was involved, right? The, okay. the, the narrator is the, is the important person. And I will say that even before we decided on Angie, we knew we wanted the narrator to be a woman. Uh, specifically, you know, there were a bunch of reasons. Um, one of them is unfortunately, you know, like a lot of hip hop stuff, it's a very male story, right? A lot of the interview subjects were male, a lot of the people he was close to, a lot of the big players. Also, you know, Takashi was uh, admitted to some, you know, violent crime, you know, domestic abuse and and had, you know, a case where he was, you know, had a case in 2015 involving like sexual performance with a child. I think that's the, the title of the charge. Um, so, you know, we wanted a woman to host and guide the audience through these things. And Angie was always at the top of the list. You know, we thought about, looked at a bunch of different names, but she was always, always our number one choice and thankfully agreed to do it. Yeah, she's got a great line early in the season that I think escapes a lot of people in our age group. When she kind of goes through, she's got rainbow hair and face tattoos and he, he openly doesn't care about his rhymes. But at the end of the day, he's a kid from Brooklyn. And like, if that's not the most hip hop thing in the world, I don't know what is. And, and she's the perfect person to say that and I think too many, uh, too many older people, in my opinion, want to just say a whole generation is trash. I don't think that, I, I don't think he's a great musician. That's just my opinion. But I think that that world deserves at least our attention a little bit, um, and not just writing the whole thing off and making it one massive punchline. And I think she was a great person to do that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, Angie was great. She obviously brought you know a, a huge amount of credibility and gravitas and and input. You know, like it's you know, she had firsthand experience with this, right? She interviewed him and that interview came up during his trial. And yeah. so you actually have her response to that once, you know, she's had, you know, by the time we recorded that, she'd had some time to let that settle in and think about it and think about what that meant. And so getting that kind of firsthand feedback was just invaluable in making the show. I have another question for you personally, which is when you dove into this world head first and you're, you're researching people like Shoddy and, and the, the Treyway Bloods and that whole world you had to be involved in for the last couple of years, did, mm -hmm. you, did you ever fear for your, for your safety? Did you ever think you were maybe stepping on toes by reporting stuff that maybe certain people didn't want reported? Did it ever get, get dicey for you? Sure. That's a very good question. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I never thought about that, but... By and large, my goal with the book is not to, is and with the podcast, you know, Shiva and I were very clear about this from the beginning. Uh, the goal was not to be like, look at all these crimes that the Nine Trade Gangsta Bloods did that nobody knew about, right? The goal wasn't to like uncover a bunch of heretofore unknown crimes that they did. The goal was to tell a story about Takashi and his relationship with them and everything that he did with them, he admitted himself. Right. Yeah. And everyone else involved, all, you know, almost all of the other players involved pled guilty. And, you know, were there loose strands here or there that maybe we could have pulled on to find out, you know, like, oh, was this person there? Like, there's some indication of that. Maybe, maybe like that wasn't the focus of the storytelling. Right. The goal was not to 
get people caught up. The goal is to tell a story about Takashi. So by and large, you know, that was our focus. And I think, you know, to the extent that the people involved even heard it, which maybe they did, maybe they didn't, I would think that they understand that, you know, like I have not heard personally any like serious feedback. You know, I think people are always, you know, maybe wish this or that thing was different around the edges, but I haven't heard any like What's major that? anger about that, you know, about that particularly because like I said, every, you know, we kept to stuff that was, Public you know, record, publicly yeah. known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think what you guys did a great job of in the, in the podcast, and I'm going to assume the book is the same thing, um, just kind of compiling these things that were all out there, but nobody had ever put them in one place before, right? We live in this weird era of with sound bites and social media. The whole world starts screaming, Takashi snitched, Takashi snitched, and we know that he spoke to the police in some capacity. Almost nobody does the research of, what does that really mean in this situation? Who he snitch on? What are the crimes? What are the repercussions for those crimes in the legal system and in, in the streets, possibly? Um, I think you guys did a great job of, of taking that and really making it, you know, digestible to people that maybe don't, don't live that lifestyle, but they're just a fan of the music. That being said, how do you go from the podcast, which is well received, to a book? How does that transition happen? Sure. So I was at the trial. Actually, it was during the trial. Uh, I had finished the trial for the day and I was writing up my summary, sitting on like a park bench outside the courthouse, feverishly typing up, you know, my summary of, of what had happened because I was doing these like daily dispatches from the courthouse and I got a phone call and uh, I think it was actually an email first. And then I, I talked to him for the first time on the phone right after the trial. Uh, I was from a literary agent. Uh, William Leturco, and he approached me and he had seen my reporting and he said, I think there's a book here. And it was the kind of thing that I was honestly petrified of. You know, books seemed like something other people I know did, real writers, whatever that means, you know, who, yeah. you know, that it was something other kinds of people did and not me, you know. I wrote, sure, but I wrote articles about stuff that I, you know, interviewed or researched or whatever, like, a book, like tens of thousands of words, that seemed nuts. But also I had put myself in this situation where like it or not, I was the foremost expert in the world on this thing. Yeah. So if there was any anyone who was gonna write a book about this, you know, it was gonna be me. So I said, you know, okay, let's start this process. And it, it took a long time, you know, and Eventually, uh, we connected with Marvis Johnson uh, at Kingston Imperial. Marvis used to manage Prodigy, uh, definitely like has a hand in the hip hop world and, you know, and in the publishing world as well. And, you know, we connected with him and did the deal. And, you know, after taking every weekend of end morning of quarantine, you know, we got we got the book. Yeah, man, I think that's a, that's a great story. I think, I think the biggest thing, I, I try to have writers on this podcast every so often. I think the biggest decision you got to make in your mind is start to think of yourself as an author and decide you're going to write a book. And then from there, you can do it. You know, there's a million ways you can attack it. I think that the marathon example I always give on the podcast, I think is important. If you go to a marathon, there's 10,000 people running. The only decision everybody made was, I'm going to run 26.2 miles today. After that, every decision is, is arbitrary, right? Same thing on a book. I'm going to write a book. 
And then you could decide, I'm going to work on it on the weekend. I'm going to write at night. I'm going to write in the morning. I'm going to write a chapter and edit a chapter, whatever it's going to be. Um, but when you make that decision and pull the trigger, it's a powerful thing um, that you're going to finish this, like you said, tens or hundreds of thousands of word projects and put it out there for the world to, to see. Yeah. I mean, look, it was, it was with me, it was definitely kind of a fake until you make it situation. I was like, all right, you know, let's well, say I'll do it. Let's just see if anyone wants it. Right. You know? Well, yeah, you're in a and, little bit different situation because most first time authors are like, is anyone going to like my writing? Where in your case, millions of people have seen your writing uh, across the internet for over a decade. So it's a little bit, I guess they, your question might've been, does anybody want to see my long form writing? Cause you already know people like your writing, correct? I mean, I think that people read my articles, but I didn't necessarily think it was because of my prose, right? I thought okay. it was because of, you know, the subject matter or I broke some news or I got Soldier Boy to say something embarrassing or whatever, or, you know, not Soldier Boy, uh, uh, you know, someone to say something embarrassing yeah. about Soldier Boy, thinking of one article I did for Forbes years back, um, you know, whatever. You know, I got two chains to talk about something about how much money he made on Christmas sweaters. You know, I didn't necessarily think like people are coming for the byline. Right, right. I got you. I got you. Cause just because you brought up two chains and you did an article about him in the sweaters a couple of years back, just a comedy question. Do you think two chains knows he's funny? <laughs> I, he get on I, a joke? I, I absolutely think that two chains knows he's funny. Look, okay. I don't know him. I've only interviewed him once or twice, possibly twice, definitely at least once. Um, I think twice, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's funny. He's a very savvy guy. Obviously he managed to reinvent himself, you yeah. know, from, uh, from well, Titty Boy it. into Two Chains and yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely think he's, uh, you know, he's aware that he's a funny and entertaining character. Agreed, man. I'm a fan. I wasn't a super big fan of Player Circle, but when he came out as Two Chains, the last eight years or whatever it's been, I've liked most of what he's put out. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. That being said, let's get back to some of your book for one second. A couple quick questions about Six Nine. What's next for him as an artist? The, the the first project after Prison kind of tanked. Does he have more in the tank? What's what's next? Sure. So, look. The honest answer is I don't know. Uh, and I would never count that guy out. He is so good at getting attention, um, and anything's possible. Okay. That said, uh, you know, it's a different time than it was in 2018, 2019, right? Like, the I guess he was behind bars all 2017, 2018, when he really blew up. Um, you know, he, I, he is kind of the, he was the perfect rapper for Trump's America, right? Fair. He was brash. He argued his way through stuff constantly. He was concerned with attention. Uh, he was all about social media and engagement and being outrageous and getting a reaction and was masterful at it and, you know, made the world into a reality show. Um, I just don't know if constant rule breaking and taboo smashing, like how long can you really do that before the audience turns off? And I think you, you, 
at least so far have seen that in kind of the the diminishing returns once he finally you know got off uh house arrest right, right? I mean, Each- and, and if you look yeah, at so- these kind of predecessors or people that even whether he knows them or not kind of did this before uh you look at the punk rock in the late 70s you look at somebody like maybe odb who which is a wild played by no rules kind of character um, it's usually accompanied by great music early on in their career. And then that lifestyle either, either ends their life early or their music gets progressively worse because their lifestyle gets progressively crazier. That's kind of my opinion of it. Um, and I think that he, that may have happened already for him. I don't know if his music was ever great. Um, and the other thing that happens is those kids that, that liked him when they were 15 are now 20 and they're kind of on to the next thing. Cause if you, if you shut down your career for a year or so and go to jail, that kind of happens. Right. Yeah, I mean, yes, but also, look, I wouldn't put it past him, you know, finding a new lane as, I don't know, a, more than one person has suggested to me that he'll come back as a Twitch gamer or something. Oh, know? yeah, like, I, could de- I could definitely see that. Certainly, that's, that's certainly that could happen. I, I will say that a big, you know, one of the big things that the book deals with, right, is that his constant taboo smashing and rule breaking was backed up by shoddy and you know nine tray and that is obviously not in the picture anymore so you know he 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 sort of knew i can insult j prince i can insult yg you know i can do these things that are unthinkable who insults j prince right i mean you remember j prince from you know his reputation forever right like he's he's an untouchable mysterious character who you know uh and you know, and and so the idea of insulting him and starting a feud with his son for really no good reason uh, seems nuts to to I think you know people of our <laughs> of our age. But he went and did it, and he knew I think in part that he was backed up by, uh, you know, for lack you know to put it bluntly, muscle. a street gang, right? By muscle, yeah. and that's that's not the case anymore. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it interesting how you move when your your bodyguard, for lack of a better term, doesn't have your back anymore. Right. I mean, he has plenty of security. I, I hope for his sake that his, you know, he is safe in, you know, in all of the, the important ways. But, you know, there's there's no longer going to be someone to fire a gun at your rivals, you know, or rob your rivals at gunpoint or whatever all of the things that they did that's that aspect is gone yeah i mean i, I always this, the one thing that's crazy about this generation of rappers is that in two, early 2017 i was on a music podcast about the hip-hop scene in asbury park right and this is right in the beginning of soundcloud and the host asked me what i thought about like this era that we're talking about now right your takashi's your xxx those kids and i said it four years ago now they're not gonna live very long the drugs they're taking and the way they're combining social media with real gangs is not going to go, you're not going to last forever. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of the brightest stars of this generation already pass away before they hit 25. Um, and we've seen Takashi do significant jail time already. So it's an interesting idea of like, hey, hip hop always had a element of danger to it. But this, this generation of kids that are as much raised by the internet as they are by anything else, and it's the, the drug culture, the internet culture, and gang culture all converging is a very dangerous cocktail. Would you agree? It's, I mean, those three things mixing are, are definitely dangerous, but I think, you know, Takashi kind of stands at the center of a lot of that. 
being someone who was so good at internet culture, right? In in the in the trolly ways, like he, you know, even before he was famous, he would troll people online and ultimately become friends with them. That's how he met his best friend. Was, mm-hmm. you know, insulting him online. Um and when you combine that sort of internet firepower with, you know, and sense for what is going to go viral with gang culture, like, yeah, it, it took over the world. Like, Takashi knew from the very beginning he needed a gang affiliation to have a rap career. This is, this is sort of tangential to what you're asking, but I think it, it gets there. For him, he had that idea. I need a gang backing whether real or, or perceived to succeed in rap. Otherwise I'm going to keep, you know, being a cult figure in Eastern Europe and no one will mm. care. Right. right. And first he tried to get some crypts in his video and, you know, his mentor at that time shut it down. And then, you know, he met someone in nine tray on sort of, you know, I don't want to say the other side because things in the East Coast are complicated and sure. Chris and Bloods aren't exactly, you know, sworn enemies, whatever, but who are on a, on a different side of things, let's say. Um, yeah, and, and went that route. So the, the ultimate thing for him was having a gang affiliation, which gang essentially didn't matter. Right, he was almost like a free agent. Like he came out and was like, how are we going to make this, this deal work for everybody? It's going to we're all eat off this plate together. Real quick, as a person with a lifetime of musical experience, as a fan, as a performer, you know, every aspect of music, what are your thoughts on 6 9 music? Sure. Okay, so I will say that a bunch of, I think he had a sweet spot, right? The sweet spot is m- most of what is on the, the Day 6 9 project. Uh, for me, that sweet spot is like, you know, the kind of beats he was working with, the energy he was putting across, you know, the even to an extent the the videos and visuals, and yes, kind of the the image and mystery. You you can't listen to those songs if you're around at the time and not think about the questions that were swirling. Why is this guy with gang members? Is he real? I'm confused. What's the deal? Why are they around him? You know, like all of that including, you know, I think some of the songs kind of came together in a, a couple, a bunch of songs on that Day Six Dine project. Uh, and I think he worked very closely on a lot of those songs with uh, his friend Drew on some of the lyrics and all of this kind of stuff. I think that for me, after that, the stuff he did after that was a bit too trend chasey. Like he found himself in mainstream hip hop and to me, the stuff after that, the the two albums after that sound like, oh, now that I'm in the mainstream, I have to do this kind of song and this kind of song and have this guest artist and this guest artist in order to have a successful rap album. Gotcha. You became paint by numbers and kind of fill mm-hmm. in the blanks of what kind of songs you need to get on radio or get on yeah, TV Yeah, to, to me, I would say that the stuff after that Day 6 Die Project, Dummy Boy and, and the new one are, are a bit more, sound to me a bit more paint by numbers. Nice. Uh, what's next for you, man? What, what is Sean Sotero doing? Obviously, you're going to have a long press run with this book and hopefully finish up 2021 selling a lot of copies and being a lot of media outlets. But be, any real big appearances planned or what's like the next couple months look like for you? 
Sure. So the book, the book, uh, Dummy Boy, Takashi 69 and the Nine Trade Gangster Bloods, uh, published by Kingston Imperial, will be out October 12th. Uh, so, you know, that is obviously the biggest thing. There is a second book in the works that I don't, for risk of, you know, jinxing myself, I don't want to say too much about, but is, you know, is not about Takashi, but is sort of dealing with some of the same underlying issues, but from a very different perspective. And I think it's, you know, very timely, ties into a bunch of my work from the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, hopefully will be, you know, be a unique take on something that all rap fans have been concerned with for a long time. Um, I'm working on a couple other podcasts for Complex. Um, that are also narratives that should be out. Uh, one will be out uh, as we're talking. It'll be out in about a month. And another one that will be out in September. Um, so keep an eye out for those. Those, again, will be narrative podcasts put out by Complex. Um, you know, the one in September will definitely be on Spotify. It's season two of Infamous about a different topic, about a different artist. Uh, who also is infamous, but for, you know, somewhat different reasons. And it's a very different story and something I've spent, you know, most of the past year working on and putting together. And then there is a uh, podcast that tells the story of, I'll just say, a, a popular Brooklyn rapper and kind of gets it his life and story from a bunch of different angles and i'm super super excited about that and i wish i could tell you but it hasn't been announced just yet uh and maybe we can talk after recording and i can good. let you in it sounds good to me man i always say when you got projects you're not allowed to talk about you're doing something right because if yeah. enough people are invested and care about the release dates you're crushing it man so thank you very much for your time today um literally if you even if you have no interest in Takashi Six Nine whatsoever, Sean's work is entertaining. It's informative. It'll make you look at this era of hip hop through a different lens than you probably have before, regardless of your age or your thoughts on what's going on online and in the streets in 2020s. Sean, thank you very much for your time, and we'll see you next time on Me and My Cousins. Ugly Pancake Productions has your comedy needs covered. Open mics, we got it. Showcases, we got it. Fundraisers, we got it. We are bringing some of the area's best comics all over New Jersey to your venue. Whether it's a brewery, whether it's a bar, whether it's a restaurant or event space, Ugly Pancake Productions has you covered with some of the best entertainment anywhere on the East Coast. 